Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Brooklands. Thank you for being here and thank you for supporting the Trust. A special welcome to our non-members. It's good to see you. For those who don't know me, I'm Steve Clark and I have the pleasure of running these events on behalf of BTM. I'm going to start with an apology. It's not that bad. <laughs> I'm getting old. And I'm getting very forgetful and mixed up with names. When I first started dealing with TFL, I dealt with a guy by the name of Nick Mann, who passed me on to Richard Storer, and I've got the names totally mixed up on the agenda to say that it's Richard Mann here, okay? <laughs> so my apologies, Richard, to begin with. I'm amazed, I'm not saying I'm amazed at so many people, there can't be a subject that's any more diverse from Brooklands than here tonight. But I've been fascinated with this project, which I think has taken a lot of people by surprise. Those that you watched uh, John Schlesinger's film about Waterloo Station in 1961, you just cast your mind back and remember how bad it was. You know, really bad and lack of investment, but it was post-war. I think we've come a long way since then, and I know we have, so I think we can find out a lot more. Will you please re welcome Richard Storer. Thank you very much indeed. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as the introduction said, I'm Richard Storer, and I'm one of the community relations managers at Crossrail. Um, my role is to pacify stakeholders, to make sure they've got all the information that they need uh, so that we don't get any um, complaints or anything like that through the help desk. Uh, it doesn't always work, I'm afraid. Um, okay, so this is Crossrail. Um, the trains have actually started running. Uh, not on the Crossrail tracks. They are running between Liverpool Street Mainline Station and Shenfield. So if you want to experience what the Crossrail trains are going to look like, or what I should say what the Elizabeth Line trains are going to look like, then you can catch a train from Shenfield or from Liverpool Street and vice versa, or get on at Stratford and go one way or the other. Uh, it will give you an idea of, um, of how good the trains are going to be when they start their full service. That was the 22nd of June. Uh, just to show that it did come into Liverpool Street. Um, that's the one arriving in Liverpool Street. And we've actually had one in the tunnel, so at least we know it fits. <laughs> we've still got quite a long way to go before they're rattling through there. So what is Crossrail? Well, it's not a high-speed railway. It's a high-capacity, high-frequency urban or metro rail service through the centre of London. It will provide an additional 10% of capacity to the London rail system. And the trains obviously are up to date, so they are environmentally friendly, air conditioned, they're very long, 200 metres, and will carry up to 1,500 passengers. The stations through the centre of, of the section have all been, were all brand new and work is going on on the edges to increase the uh, capacity, um, platform lengths and that sort of thing on the, on the existing network rail stations which we'll be using. And because it's cutting through the centre of London, it will provide shorter journey times for most people. <coughs> so it will enable London to grow. 
It's going to cost 14.8 billion. Uh, it's going to provide 42 billion pounds worth of net benefit to the economy. Um, the whole length from Reading through central London up to Shenfield is about 118 kilometers. We've got 40 stations, uh, actually 41 if you count uh, the Terminal 5. Um, nine of them are brand new. In, at peak periods through the centre section, there'll be 24 trains an hour in each direction, and it's estimated that there'll be 200 million passenger journeys per annum. So journey times today, um, Shenfield Bond Street, 40, it's important you remember that one. Abbey Wood to Liverpool Street, 48. Uh, 54 minutes from Reading to Canary Wharf. 51 minutes Heathrow to Canary Wharf. When Crossrail comes in, not all of them are greater. Uh, or less, I mean. 48 minutes from Shenfield to Bond Street is because currently from Shenfield to Liverpool Street, you get a fast train. It doesn't stop anywhere. goes straight through. Then you have to change. But uh, on Crossrail, it's an all-stopping service so uh, it will take a little bit longer. Um, but things like Abbey Wood to Liverpool Street comes down from 48 minutes to 17. Uh, Heathrow to Canary Wharf comes down to 40 minutes. Again, Reading to Canary Wharf goes up simply because we stop at all the intermediate stations, whereas currently you can get a train, fast train from Reading to, Reading to Paddington, uh, which is quick, and then you'd have to change onto uh, Crossrail at Paddington if you wanted to go that way. If you stop at the intermediate stations, it's quite a bit longer. So the funding envelope, 14.8 billion pounds. The majority of it comes from the Department for Transport and Transport for London. Uh, City of London have put in a couple of hundred million because they see it as um, a very necessary um, part of the City of London transport infrastructure. Uh, Canary Wharf Group um, built the station box and most of the station at Canary Wharf. Uh, without that station, Canary Wharf cannot expand. It just can't get people in anymore because the Jubilee Line and the DLR are pretty crowded. crowded. Believe me, I use it every day. Um, Barclay Homes built the station box at Woolwich and have built um, lots of flats above the, above the box, so they've covered their costs with the cost of the, of the new Barclay Homes. Um, Heathrow have put some money in um, because uh, we're adding to the uh, capacity to Heathrow. Uh, great um, GLA through various um, funding uh, niceties like rents and rates and things like that have put some money in. And Network Rail are carrying out work on the edges. Uh, that's west of Paddington and between Stratford and Shenfield and at Abbey Wood. And they've put, their, um, they've put in about 2.3 billion of that 14.8 billion. So we started, actually started construction in May 2009 at Canary Wharf. Uh, unfortunately, I can't um, edit the slide. Um, <clears throat> but uh, neither of those gentlemen are still, well, it's not, not in the same roles anyway. Lord Adonis has um, just announced his resignation and Boris, well, we know what Boris is. Um, but this could start in, in, at that early stage before the rest of the construction started simply because Canary Wharf Group were funding the box at, at uh, Canary Wharf. Um, and um, they didn't need to wait for all the rest of the funding to put in place before they started. So we, they started there. They wanted to start early. They could then build the box, build the retail units above it, and start the cash coming back in again. It's Europe's largest infrastructure project. 
43 kilometers of twin tunnels under, under central London, 6 million tons of excavated material, eight new underground stations, the ninth is um, out at Abbey Wood, lots of steel and lots of concrete. And uh, it's an interesting thing. It's not straightforward tunnelling under London. <clears throat> so we have to go over and under all the other infrastructure that's there. Um, most of it we're going, um, well, a lot of it we're going under, but we do go over some of it. Um, but generally about 30 to 40 metres below ground level. And the geology through that, that part of London is pretty well known. So uh, we're pretty sure of what the ground conditions are. And we're also we're pretty sure about most of the obstructions that we might come across and what we had to avoid. Um, there were a couple of buildings with foundations where the piles were a little bit iffy, um, and they're very close to the tunnel. Uh, and one building in particular, which hasn't yet been completed in, or hardly been started in Canary Wharf, which is going to be about a 66-storey residential tower at the uh, west end of the docks. Um, the designers had designed the foundations, Crossrail came along and wanted them changed. They said no, so we had to shift the um, line very slightly as it comes out of uh, Canary Wharf Station to avoid the foundations. It's 6.2 metres internal diameter, so it is substantially larger than the normal tube lines. The Victoria line is actually one of the smaller ones, but it does give you the proportions there. But it, because it's a full-size train, it's not a, it's not a tube line, full-size train with an overhead pantograph picking up the power. So that's why we need it at 6.2 metres diameter. Um, 250 metre long platforms and um, with 200 metre long trains, that means we can actually put another wagon in the trains, um, or, or two in actual fact, and then have selective door opening, but we've got fairly long platforms. Um, and almost double, well, more than double the number of passengers that you get on a tube train. So the tunnels were bored um, using a tunnel boring machines, very well-known technology. And this was one of the two machines that started. Um, I think this is at, La at Limo um, in East London. Um, but unfortunately for Britain, all the machines were made in Germany. Um, we just simply don't have the capacity to build these sorts of machines any longer in the UK. I think the, the Channel Tunnel project was the last time that British tunnel boring machines of any decent size were, were actually manufactured. Um, so the tunnel boring machines um, are a mobile factory and hopefully this animation will work. So it does show you how the machines build the tunnel. The head turns um, and it's pushed forward by rams extending from the previously built um, segment here. So these rams extend and push it forward. The material then gets fed all the way back through conveyor systems. The concrete segments come in. They're put in place. The ring is completed. And then, then the next sequence goes on, pushing forward. And that goes on and on and on. 24-7, um, um, with some downtime for maintenance. Um, but that, that uh, is the fundamentals of a tunnel boring machine. Um, they're all made to suit the ground conditions and the diameter, uh, so there's not a lot of second-hand value in them, apart from scrap, um, which unfortunately is where all the, uh, the business end here ended up. 
Um, the rest of it's uh, reusable because it's all modular and it, run, it all went back to Germany um, and um, will be seen again, I'm sure, in, in some guise or another. And you can see the, the, screw, the Archimedean screw here, which uh, the material drops down, is picked up by the screw, taken through, dropped onto a conveyor system, uh, which is then um, fed through the machine and the, the, all the surplus material is taken away. And at the same time, the concrete segments are coming back in. And these machines have got all the power they need, um, welfare facilities for the crew, that sort of thing. And it's, uh, that's what you get. The um, segments are placed by these hydraulic arms um, in place. It's a fairly quick build. And then the final segment is the key piece, which goes in um, to wedge out the, the ring to make sure it's um, tight um, and structurally sound. And driving it is just like being in a video game. Um, the, the driver uh, looks at screens, he's got targets to aim for, uh, and uh, he can move the machine very slightly um, to get to the right altitude or um, position vertically and position horizontally. Um, interestingly, when the Channel Tunnel was started, um, I think Motor did um, a road test on the service tunnel machine and worked out that the turning circle was about 4.2 kilometers. Um, so they, they can turn, but, but obviously um, when you're building a railway, you want it fairly straight. It's a continental tradition, um, and the, because these machines were German, there were a lot of Germans working on them, um, for them to be blessed, um, and uh, this is one of the machines, that's the first machine that started at Plumstead uh, and, and aimed for central London. It was christened by one of the local priests who's doing the bit with the water um, on St. Barbara's Day, or Santa Barbara's Day, which is December the 4th uh, in 2012. Santa Barbara is the patron saint of tunnelers, underground miners, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and, and revered, certainly by our continental tunneling cousins. And all the machines were named after female, with, with female names. So we had Sophia, and uh, I can't remember all of them, but um, Sophia was Isambard Kingdom Brunel's wife, I think, or his daughter. The other one was his daughter. And then two years later, in January 2014, finished its job, it's getting cut up, um, and the bits of it are removed for scrap. And this is at North Woolwich in the tunnel portal. So, 43 kilometres of tunnel. Uh, the tunnelling started uh, at Royal Oak with two machines. So we are Ada and Phyllis, um, and they aimed for Farringdon. Uh, it also started um, at Limo Peninsula, which is here, with Elizabeth and Victoria, and they ran all the way through to Farringdon. Um, we then had um, two machines starting from um, Plumstead, which are... Um, Mary, um, uh, Mary and Sophia, um, uh, those two machines were slightly different from the others in that the ground conditions under the Thames, a uh, majority of that is chalk. So instead of having the clay that you cut through in central London, it was chalk. The machines are slightly different. The spoil disposal is slightly different um, as well. And then we had um, a couple of machines started at um, Pudding Mill Lane. Um, that was Ellie and Jessica. Um, the Olympics up at Pudding Mill Lane um, 
decided their names, I think. Um, and then those two machines finished at um, the um, Limo Peninsula here. And then um, they were taken out and then they were re reused here. So they were stripped down, moved by road um, back to here and then through. Sorry, they, they finished at um, Stepney Green. They were taken out of Stepney Green and taken back into Limo and then drove the last sort of 900 metres uh, in the Docklands. So those two machines were used twice. So all in all, um, quite a lot of activity, most of it going on unseen under central London because once you start tunnelling, everything comes out the end that you've started from, so you don't have a huge amount of um, interest above ground for the tunnelling. So the tunnelling was completed in May, uh, 23rd of May 2015 with what we call the big breakthrough, uh, east-west breakthrough at Farringdon, um, and of course the um, great and the good and the not so great and the no longer not so good or not so great um, <laughs> decided to don a hard hat and high vis and, and come down and, um, and celebrate. Um, it's quite a high profile project obviously and we do get lots of politicians um, coming down um, and taking an interest in us. So that was June 2015 and that was the end of the big civils works underground. That was all the tunnelling completed. But there's an awful lot more to the story than the tunnelling. Um, to celebrate, we did open the Thames Tunnel and um, local residents walked through from um, Woolwich through to North Woolwich, um, then found their own, their own way back home. Um, but it was quite an experience for quite a lot of people who'd never been into that sort of tunnel. So that was the, that's the Thames Tunnel, um, one side of it. Of course, there are two of them, um, uh, and, uh, and that's one of them. Uh, in part, in, in addition to the segmental tunnels, we carried out a lot of spray concrete lining uh, excavation to open up for the station boxes because although the tunnel is 6.2 metres in diameter, when you build a station, you need it much bigger because you've got the platform um, and you've got all the uh, other bits and pieces in a station. Um, so where we have the board stations um, and those in the main under central London, we have to open up the ground and using spray concrete lining, which is uh, a careful excavation, um, putting um, re reinforced mesh against the cut excavation and then spraying concrete on it to make sure it's, uh, it's solid. So that's uh, another technique. We were also in, in central London extremely concerned about ground movement. There's lots of buildings which we were going underneath, which don't have very deep foundations, um, certainly some of the older buildings. So we needed to ensure that the buildings were stable. So a lot of um, areas had grout shafts sunk, a, a couple of three or four metre diameter shafts, and from the bottom, drilled strings radiated out, forming these tubes, uh, which are called TAMs, or tube à manchette, and then the grout is injected through these and by various techniques can come out and solidify the ground around the outside or, or wherever so that when the machine comes through, it's coming through weak concrete, but the concrete is hard, it's strong enough to hold up the buildings. Um, and uh, we did a huge amount of surveys through central London, wherever the tunnel was going to be, wherever any excavations were going to be, and they were monitored 24-7 I mean, if you were in central London around our works, you looked up and you saw what used to be called a theodolite, but is now called a total, uh, automatic total station. 
um, sitting on um, frames um, which targeted the positions of various um, monitors, um, sort of small prisms around the buildings and monitored those. And if there was any movement that wasn't predicted or was too, too great, then the, the, the system pumped in more grout uh, to hold up the building and the tunneling would stop. There was also, in some areas, it was possible to, to run out TAMs from the front of the, um, of the machine. An example of this is... Um, Sorry, that, that's, yeah, I've just, just said all that. 60 kilometres of tum, TAMs, that's an awful lot of two-inch two, uh, two or 50-millimetre diameter holes. So one of the buildings that we looked at was uh, needed to be careful with St. Patrick's Church in Soho Square. The red here is the, all the tunnelling for, uh, for the station uh, at Tottenham Court Road, um, cross passages, escalator barrels, etc., and the main tunnels are here. And St. Patrick's Church is there, sitting above the, um, the tunnels. So, grout shafts, and there are all the grout shafts here. And these are all the tams which were filled with grout, and the church is in here. So there were various other buildings that we had to do. And this went on in lots of areas around central London. So quite involved um, geotechnics um, to make sure that we did as little damage as possible. Uh, the surveys showed what the condition of the buildings were beforehand, and we surveyed afterwards and made good. One of the other areas of interest was the Connaught Tunnel in Docklands. Um, this is the uh, XL Exhibition Centre. London City Airport is up here, and these are the docks. Uh, the old North London line ran through here, and then ran underneath uh, and off to North Woolwich. And somebody, in their wisdom, uh, use that word advisedly, decided that we should use as much old infrastructure as possible. So we had to use the Connaught Tunnel. Um, and you've got the Docklands Light Railway uh, running through here. This is Prince Regent DLR station. It runs off towards um, Beckton up here. Um, anyway. That was what the, Con the Connaught Tunnel looked like when it was handed over to us. It was built in 1863, I think, something like that. Brick built. The brick is in absolutely magnificent condition. It's a bit stained because steam trains running through, um, but the invert here had been, that's the bottom here, had been taken out. Uh, the railway tracks used to be here. So it was in yeah, reasonable condition. The problem was with this bit where the, tr the main tunnel itself bifurcates into two smaller tunnels, and those run underneath the dock passage. And I guess they decided that when they built it that that was the easiest way of doing it. The problem was these tunnels aren't big enough uh, to take our trains. So the idea originally was to, to lower the inver invert here, uh, lower the invert, but fill those with concrete, um, a, a weak concrete, and then tunnel through to make bigger tunnels. The problem was when the survey was done, the top of the tunnels was about 200 millimetres below the bottom of the dock, um, which wasn't that much cover. Um, and so we had to get from that to that. So we had to lower the invert here. That's the, about the original line of the invert, of the, the concrete walls on the haunches. Lower this and build a new box um, to, to remove the two bifurcated tunnels um, in, in the centre. Uh, and that was tricky. 
the first thing to do was to, to start um, building the walls and bits of the roof, um, and then form the rest of the roof and take the brickwork away. The, the invert still not being completed here uh, or in the tunnels, because we had, because of the the height restriction here or the cover restriction, the whole thing had to be lowered much more than than was thought. And out on the surface, we're underneath the um, the, the swing bridge uh, um, runs between the docks. Uh, coffer dams were built. The water was pumped out. The old tunnel exposed, uh, and these. Um, cast iron uh, steel arches, which were the old tunnel, which, were, which had been put in mm, between the wars, I think. Um, that was all removed, and then began building the, the, the rest of the tunnel here. And it was built with the roof and the walls, but not the invert, because there was a time constraint. Uh, work could only start after the boat show had finished, uh, and before the defence the defence show arrived, because the frigates wouldn't have got through if if we had still blocked it. So we had about well between January and end of January and early uh, late August to to do all this, uh, and we did it. Um, well, the contractors did it rather, and that's what it looked like. And on to where the spoil went, Wallasey Island, Essex, best place for it. Um, <laughs> um, very innovative, the solution for this. Um, the, this island, Wallasey Island, and if any of you are yachties, you'll know that that's Burnham on Crouch there. This is the River Crouch, and this is the River Rodding. Um, not a very um, auspicious area, uh, fairly low-grade agriculture, but it was all agriculture, but... Uh, in the 53 floods, it got completely inundated, so the, the precursors to the Environment Agency decided that they would... Whoops, wrong way, sorry. Uh, wrong button. That they would build uh, sea walls around it um, to maintain it. Um, unfortunately, with the econ economic constraints these days, the Environment Agency decided they weren't going to do that any longer. They weren't going to maintain the um, sea walls. So the danger was that incoming tides would rip in and take all the topsoil out uh, and dump it on the uh, this oyster, oyster beds in the rodding and, and cause lots of problems for the yachts and other shipping in, in the crouch. So the, the RSPB purchased it and had this wonderful idea of converting it into a basically a bird sanctuary. Uh, they needed a lot of material to profile the, the um, area uh, and um, they came to Crossrail, and uh, or because of Crossrail, they were able to uh, facilitate their scheme. So that's that's what it used to look like. You've got um, up here. There, there is a what was a bit of a seawall here. Um, uh, we had to build a jetty here, and all the material came by ship um, and was taken off um, the ships and put onto um, conveyor belts and then trucked around the place to form all the profiles. And the idea was that you formed uh, specific openings in the seawall to allow controlled influx of the tide and then therefore a controlled regression of the tide so it didn't take all the material out. And uh, that's what it looks like um, in, in the middle of construction. Well, about today, there's, a, there's been a little bit more work than that. 
It's not complete because we couldn't provide all the material. So this is a 25-year project for the RSPB. So if you've anybody got any um, couple of bags of material that they want to get rid of, um, I'm sure the RSPB would like to hear from you. Um, and that's another view of it. Um, you can see the profiling um, and the, the way that the water comes in and, and forms lagoons. And um, it's all very um, eco-friendly. And that's what it will look like at high tide. Um, so you've got the, uh, eventually, I think we've only done this bit round here. So you've got these areas. If you look at, actually, if you look at a vertical um, map, uh, photograph of um, the area, you can see these old creeks um, buried underneath the, uh, the landform. And so what all they've done really is recreate the creeks. Um, and it's been very, very successful. It's sort of 200,000 extra birds migrating there and that sort of thing. Um, it's about 620 hectares, so it's quite a big area. Um, right, onto the stations. Paddington Station. Um, problem with Paddington Station is that there wasn't very much room to build the new one, uh, which goes down here underneath Eastbourne Terrace. Before we could do that, we needed to shift the taxis from Departures Road here and build a new taxi rank here. At the same time, the Hammersmith and City line expansion or, or upgrade was being done, and so there's a new ticket hall up here for the Hammersmith and City line. And once the taxis had been moved, we could then start excavating on uh, Eastbourne Terrace and building the new station, which is a box station. There are three boxes, um, Paddington, Canary Wharf, and Woolwich. They're big square concrete boxes um, uh, just because we don't need to tunnel um, through them. Another view, um, Eastbourne Terrace by this time had been opened, reopened, uh, only to buses uh, in both directions. And you can see the construction. This is the, the sort of ventilation areas, and you've got um, access down for ventilation. The main station will be in here. Um, we're breaking through into the um, mainline station to form accesses uh, at, uh, at ground level into the uh, station itself. A much more recent photograph showing the structural steel here. Um, uh, and here this is the ventilation building, so we've got a, a big roof. It's about 200 metres long, I think, 180 metres, something like that. And on it uh, will be going an, an artwork. Uh, this is a, a view um, artist impression. Um, so you've got the old departures road here. Um, this is the, the old station, so there are various arches to come through. You come through at this level, and you go down either stairs or, or escalators or a lift. There's a glass lift at that end. And you go down to the ticket hall, uh, and then um, down another set of escalators to the platform level. And that is the artwork. It's not, it is stained glass, but it's, um, it's clouds. It's called the Cloud Index. Um, and it's, you see the, the cloud formations here. So it'll always be cloudy in Paddington. <laughs> uh, that uh, was actually two days ago that photograph was taken. Um, so it does show the, um, the progress. Um, the two tower cranes have got to come down fairly soon so they can finish the, the rest of the roof um, and, and construct more of the station. Bond Street Station, a very... Interesting station. We're now getting into the realms of central London where it's very congested. Um, and 
all our stations will have some interconnection with existing uh, tube lines. So this is a new Jubilee line um, access point, and London Underground have also upgraded the Bond Street tube line station. So there's uh, been quite a lot of work going on. Um, the, this is a, a board station. Whoops, wrong way. Um, so the tunnels here were bored through, so you had a small diameter tunnel, and then it was all broken out to form the platform tunnels. And we've got uh, ticket halls at Hanover Square and at Davis Street, just underneath or just next door to the Westwood Shopping Centre. So, working in central London, that's Davis Street, that's Hanover Square, Oxford Street, New Bond Street, uh, very congested. And in order to be able to build here, we had to knock buildings down, obviously, to get in there. Um, but new buildings will be going up on, on top of the station infrastructure uh, and urban realm developments around the outside. Uh, we also, because it's central London, we can't have fleets of ready-mix trucks turning up. Um, it needs to be very carefully planned. Um, deliveries are scheduled. Uh, lorries are held off-site and only called forward when they can be taken into the site so we don't have uh, lots of traffic congestion. And these sorts of plans are discussed with the local authorities, in this instance Westminster City Council, uh, and routes for those lorries are also agreed um, and the lorries have to stick to them. Um, so that's one of the hazards, if you like, of working in, in, the, in the middle of central London. That's, um, this is West One Shopping Centre is on the left here. If you know, that's Davis Street going down there. Gray's Antiques is down here. And this is the um, structure, the first floor structure of the, the new station ticket hall. So the access will be at this corner here. Um, into here, we'll be handing this site, and there's a couple of ventilation towers up here, handing it over to the developers um, towards the end of the year so that they can then build their development above the station. That's what the uh, Hanover Square urban realm will look like. Um, I haven't got one of them afraid of Bond Street, of Davis Street, but those sorts. And these are a mixture of uh, commercial um, and retail and, in some areas, residential um, above the, the stations. Totten Court Road, centre point on the left. If you want to flat, the Penthouse flat's about, was it 4.5 million, something like that? Um, and the infrastructure here, uh, all this had to be, there was lots of de demolition here. They used the road, that road used to come straight down here, um, but it's changed. Um, lots of temporary works propping here to hold open the excavations to make sure centre point doesn't fall over. Um, We've got a, a church here, which um, needed a lot of like. Uh, well, that's that. Uh, sorry, that is St. St. Patrick's Church, Soho. So that's the. That's how close it is to the excavation. Um, and uh, London Underground again, we're upgrading the Tottenham Court tube state, Tottenham Court Road tube station at the same time as we were trying to build our um, ticket hall and infrastructure. We were underneath them. Um, so, um, a lot of uh, interesting engineering, and I think, if I remember rightly, the crossrail tunnels passed within about uh, 100 millimetres of the northern line, something like that. 
Um, there's the church again. This is what it will look like. We've just handed over, the, I'm not sure which side it is, but one of the, the site to Derwent, who are the developers, and they're going to be redeveloping that. You've got center point on here, and one of the entrances here, and the other one is over there. And that's just one end of Tottenham Court Road tube station. Um, work's underway. Uh, we're now fitting out tunnels and stations, putting up the roundels, putting in the escalators and the lights. Uh, Farringdon Station is another very interesting one. Of course, in the city, it's underneath Smithfield, which is here, Smithfield Market. We've got one end here and the other end over there. Uh, we've got the Barbican uh, up here. Uh, this is the integrated Thameslink ticket hall, which was again being constructed. And of course, we needed to be very careful underneath the meat market, uh, the Smithfield market, to ensure that uh, we weren't banging around creating dust and that sort of thing. Um, so again, um, a very interesting um, area. This is the, the far end, um, showing it um, highlighted. You've got the old railway lines coming underneath it. Um, and that's inside, looking down the escalator shafts with the um, concrete roof. It's in the form of sort of diamond-type design to um, pay homage to the Hatton Garden area. Um, that's the diamonds, not the robbers. Um, <laughs> and then we've got Liverpool Street. Again, a very, very complicated station. We have Finsbury Circus in the centre. That's the green bit. Um, and if this works, there's this Finsley Circus, Moorgate, London Wall. Um, so we've got the existing London Underground stations at Liverpool Street and Moorgate. We have the Circle, Metropolitan, Hammersmith and City line running through the middle. Central line, Northern line. What was it when this was made? The first Capital Connect is now Thameslink. And the Post Office Railway. And underneath, we've got, to, we've got to build that. And most of it is built from that access shaft there. So in Finsbury Circus, we took over part of the area and built an access shaft. Um, and uh, Broadgate Ticket Hall here, so that was the access down to build all this. And Moorgate, we knocked a couple of buildings down on Moorgate to build the rest of it there. So there's Finsbury Circus. We only take over half of it. And we're now demobilizing that site because all the tunneling's finished, the, the hole has been sealed, uh, and we're working with City of London to decide what to put back there. There was a bowling green, but I don't think there's enough money in bowling, uh, nine, um, crown green bowling or that sort of thing. Um, so the city are probably not going to reinstall that, restore that. But all around here, you've got all the buildings uh, with the tunneling running through here, and they all need to be checked uh, regularly. Um, and that was one of the, the areas you could, you could really see the um, uh, instruments sitting up on, the, on perches, um, monitoring the buildings. This is the Moorgate shaft, so you've got the Northern Line, the Metropolitan Hammersmith City Line, Post Office Railway, various sewers. Uh, these are, this is the escalator barrel coming down and the uh, access passages and that sort of thing, and the, the tunnels running into the box. So it's a very deep shaft, about the deepest on the project, about 50 metres deep. And it's not all plain sailing when you open up the ground in London. Um, 
of course, we had to shift an awful lot of uh, utilities in order to be able to break open ground. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the utility companies don't always know where they've got their equipment. Um, at Liverpool Street, um, lots of cables were exposed and BT were called and said, yeah, they're all dead, they're all dead. <laughs> cut, cut, cut. <laughs> and uh, an awful lot of computers weren't working. <laughs> That's the way it goes. I mean, there's not only, not only cables, an awful lot of pipes, sewers, in the, in the east, uh, um, North Woolwich area, we had to um, replace a huge amount of Thames water infrastructure, which was so corroded, it just had to be renewed. Um, and we put it, because we were moving it into a different place, we got lumbered with the bill. You also find lots of other bits, especially at, uh, in Liverpool Street. So this was the, the mass plague burial site at Liverpool Street. Um, and we knew it was all going to be there, so um, Museum of London Archaeology uh, and Crossrail Archaeology teams um, went in and excavated, recorded, lifted. Um, but with skeletons, you've got to lift them and you've got to rebury them. Um, and again, they went to Essex. Actually, I think... Uh, <laughs> uh, back to Can uh, Canvey Island. Um, um, but they, uh, some of them were kept for research purposes, but there was a huge amount of archaeology, Roman roads and all that sort of thing um, at Liverpool Street. Um, and that's Liverpool Street, Broadgate Ticket Hall here. That's where all the excavations and the bodies were in there. Uh, we've got the Hammersmith and City line here, UBS, Bank of Switzerland. Um, and of course, their dealing floors were on this side. The dealing rooms were here. So we had to put in lots of insulation, in glass insulation, windows, extra glazing to keep the noise out of the piling. Um, uh, and then and Liverpool Street itself here, it was, this bit was closed. So this is never going to reopen for vehicles. It will always be a, 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 a thoroughfare. And Finsbury Circus is up there. So looking down, the excavation here. Um, this is the shaft, ventilation shaft, and access down, another access down into the tunnels. We had to build a new substation for uh, London Underground. Um, looking down, uh, we've still got the UBS building here. The problem, and after all our expense of putting extra glazing in there, they decided to knock it down. Um, and there you've got the uh, escalator drop going down here. Um, and. That's what it looks like now. You can see the building coming down. So this isn't us at all. This is Broadgate Development, uh, um, British land, I think, redeveloping that area. And this is the access to the station. And actually, I know the, the old building's there. That's all that will be left on the surface at Liverpool Street. This is the access to the station going down. So all this is paved, but this is going to be a brand new building here. Uh, Whitechapel, um, interesting. This is the only station, I think, in London where the underground is over the overground, um, which makes it interesting. Um, but a very difficult station. We're working, this is the most difficult station because we're, can, we're working over live railway lines. And you can only work over live railway lines when they're not working. So that means an awful lot of work at night, um, engineering hours which means that um, you have to, we have to take particular care of the residents, and there are residents in this area here, and that one there, and over here. And I think currently we've got 45 residences out in temporary accommodation, which we're paying for, of course. So we've had to move them out so that we can work there. 
Uh, we also put in lots of noise insulation in other areas um, in order to make it more comfortable for people who are living near the sites. So um, Whitechapel, uh, the station sits in here. We have Swanley School here. Uh, and of course, that meant that when the kids were in exams, couldn't move lorries around and that sort of thing. Uh, we needed to build an um, evacuation staircase and, and ventilation staff here. Um, we didn't find any bodies when we were excavating, even though this is the blind beggar, the haunt of the craze. Um, Sainsbury's, whoops, wrong way again, wrong button. This is Sainsbury's car park, uh, which we had to build because they had a surface car park, so we had to build them a multi-storey or a, a several-level car park. Um, and I think the Sainsbury's are going to redevelop this area in a big way. Um, so that's the profile. We've got Crossrail at the bottom. We've got London Overground here, and we've got London Underground up there. And we're building the new station above with a throughway um, <coughs> linking a couple of um, parts of, of Whitechapel. So very interesting, and unfortunately at Whitechapel, all our stations, by the way, are completely um, access, accessible for everybody. So it's either lifts um, or flat. Uh, and the problem with Whitechapel station is uh, here, the old station entrance, which we had to keep because it's listed. Uh, you go through there, you go down six steps, immediately go through the front door. So that had to be changed, and we've had to put in uh, ramps and, and a short lift uh, to get people up to this level and then lifts and escalators down and then further down as well. Uh, that's a shot of it um, under construction. Um, this is the, uh, the structure over the top which will form the profile over the top of the station with a walkway. It's got a green roof um, and this is the uh, London Underground running through here. And then, bang up to date, that was actually taken this morning. Um, so we've got all this roof in now. Um, all the cladding here uh, is um, shrouding existing uh, new stuff. Um, lots of work going on there. And that's what it will look like. Here we've got the green roof, and the station entrance is here um, with the uh, easy accessible station. And you get in, you get run across down the lifts which go down there to the station and then you can actually get to the other side of Whitechapel through that walkway. Uh, Pudding Mill Lane where the tunnels come out next to the Olympic Park um, and um, the only problem here was that the uh, DLR station which sits there is in the way so we had to build a new DLR station uh, which uh, so the tracks then come around here to bypass our station, uh, and then our tunnels come out here and run up um, into uh, the surface tracks that run off to Stratford, and you've got the Olympic Park in the background. And from the other direction, this is the uh, the new Pudding Mill Lane station here. This is the tunnel portal, so the uh, the tunnels are coming, the trains are coming out here and run onto the uh, Great Northeastern, Great Northern Lines here, Northeastern Lines, up to Stratford and then off to Shenfield. Um, interestingly, when we were building Pudding Mill Lane, um, for the Olympics, we had to basically shut down the site, remove the cranes, because the uh, 
Olympic Authority didn't want people to think that they were still building the um, Olympics, uh, if there were any wide-angle shots or anything like that. Canary Wharf Station, this was the architect's version or vision uh, of the station. It sits in uh, West India Dock um, in a box, um, and that's actually what it looks like. So not too far away from the architect's concept. Um, the box was, as I said, the first one to be built, um, and it was built using um, a very interesting technique to make sure that the piles were quiet. Cofferdam was built, uh, water taken out, and the, the cofferdam took us down to about this level here. And then that slab was built on the dock bottom with holes left in it. And then this bit was excavated, and that slab was built, and this bit was excavated, that slab was built, this bit was excavated down to the bottom. Top-down construction in, in a box. And then um, Canary Wharf Group, at the same time as coming downwards, were building upwards uh, to get all their retail uh, and the roof garden. And that opened in May 2015. Um, if you haven't been there, it is well worth having a look. It's a super place. Um, and the retail underneath it uh, is typical Canary Wharf. Lots of places to eat. Um, and and some, uh, some shops and banks and cinema and that sort of thing. Um, this is a shot of the platform tunnels being uh, excavated um, prior to the platforms being built. Um, uh, the, the, the platform's here on the left uh, and the tracks are down here. So the tracks go through and then this bit is where you stand to get onto the train. And then underneath the platforms there are service ducts, um, and part of the ventilation system, um, which allows the air that's pushed through by the trains to dissipate underneath the uh, platforms uh, and then outwards, so um, it doesn't come into the stations. And uh, platform screen doors going up. Uh, if you go on the Jubilee line, the platform screen doors are there. You stand there, you know where you're going to, the train's going to stop, so you can get on. Um, but because they're only half height, they're only sort of... Uh, three metres, uh, three and a half, four metres high. As the train comes into the tunnel, you lose your evening standard if you're not holding on to it because the draft is quite ferocious. Uh, with our trains, because they are full-size trains, they're going to push a huge amount of air in front of them. And if we had only half-height platform screen doors, not only lose your evening standard, you'd probably lose your balance. Um, so the platform screen doors on Crossrail are full height. So we segregate entirely the train from the station, um, which does help with both the comfort and environmental comfort of passengers waiting and getting on and off, and also keeps any um, fumes or anything like that in the tunnels in the tunnels, um, so we can control the environment very successfully. So these platform screen doors are going in, and that's what they look like from the rail side. They've got lots of protected screening on at the moment. This is one of, this is Woolwich, I think. Yeah, Woolwich. And that's what they like from the passenger side with lots of uh, motors and that sort of thing above. And above we've got um, lights, light screens and that sort of thing. Um, and above the doors we'll have all the, all the information that the passenger needs. Where the train's going to, which stops it is. Uh, and it'll even tell you whether that carriage is full or empty because uh, it, it's got a self-weighing system, so they can tell you. But most 
commuters anyway always stand at the same point because that's where they can get off and they move to their next bit of destination or that's where they, uh, they get on. Anyway, so those are underway. In order to clad the stations, uh, we've got the shotcrete here, the uh, um, spray concrete lining. Oh, done it again. We need to put in a skeleton, if you like, of steelwork ribs to support the uh, glass fiber reinforced concrete, which is sitting there. Um, and that's going in. So that's quite an engineering exercise. They've all got to be measured and surveyed and um, made sure that they, they are the right um, position. And that's what it looks like looking along. Um, very long platforms. It's very it's amazing when people who don't know the project come in and stand at one end of Canary Wharf, and you can just see the other end. So the profiling of the uh, of the cladding um, around the um, access points, the escalator barrels, and that sort of thing. This is all glass fiber reinforced concrete, of a very high quality, and that's what the conceptual image looks like. So it's pretty near. Escalators, lots of structures, and that's what it'll look like in the future. Um, big open spaces, um, escalators going down. Well, that one's at Bond Street. That was easy. Now we've got the tricky bit. And that is to, make the, to change the concrete tunnels and concrete stations into a transport system to deliver a world-class railway. So there are 23 different contracts to fit out the tunnels. And that's some of the statistics. 250,000 holes to drill, uh, 42 kilometers of track to put down, lots of ventilation fans, lights, quite a lot of cable, uh, fire mains, walkways, transformers, platform screen doors. And we hand over, or the contractors for the civils hand over the, um, the concrete to the system-wide people, and they start putting in uh, route-wide stuff. So a route control center at Romford, uh, backup control center at Old Oak Common, uh, bolt supply points to get the power from the national grid into the tunnels, auto transformer stations to regulate the, um, the, the juice, um, and then depots, um, one at Old Oak Common, one at Plumstead, and various sidings around the place. And then uh, railway infrastructure, so you've got the overhead line equipment, and in the tunnels, it's a rigid bar. Out on the surface, it's a cable, uh, your co the conventional overhead catenary, but in the tunnel, it's a rigid aluminum bar with a copper strip. Tunnel lighting, walkways, systems, drainage, pumps, etc. Uh, and that one is um, traction power, so that provides the 25 kilovolts to the overhead supply um, from the, the surface. And then we've got uh, low voltage and high voltage power to the tunnels, uh, to the equipment, to the stations. Uh, signaling systems, and they are very complicated. Uh, they're not complicated in the tunnel, but they're very complicated on the surface. And radios, control and communications, SCADA, CCTV, PA, emergency systems, and that sort of thing. And then the platform screen doors. And that provides a fully operational railway, which uh, is under construction and will open in December. So that's some of the activities going on. Uh, robotic drilling uh, on the right, uh, 250 holes 
250,000 holes needs uh, a little bit of help. Um, you'd use an awful lot of Black & Decker drills if you had to do it that way. Um, so these machines were developed with um, uh, lots of drill heads and uh, the system, uh, the computer system was able to um, survey everywhere and find out where the holes should go and then pre-programmed the drill rigs and they went in and drilled. Very little manual intervention. Uh, Multi-purpose gantries running on wheels on this haunch here to lift in the track slabs um, on the preformed track base. Uh, signaling and other, lots of other equipment going in the tunnels uh, and the track. Now in Soho uh, underneath the um, recording studios and in the Barbican underneath the concert hall we had to put in what's known as a floating track slab. So the, the track uh, was cast in sections and it floats, it sits on big rubber elastomeric bearings so that we take out any, any vibration effects so that um, when you're listening to the concert in the Barbican, you don't know there's a train running underneath you. Um, in the main, it's, uh, it's an ordinary uh, concrete track form, um, but it's still got resilient pads, so there's quite a lot of um, vibration taken out in the, um, in the design. Well, all the vibration is really taken out in the design of the, of the bearings uh, um, underneath the, um, the rails between the sleepers. Uh, another shot, a couple of shots showing the guys. And of course, when you've got a railway, um, you obviously use trains to, to fit everything out. Inside a station, you've got lots of cabling, information displays, radios, telephones, help points, cameras, loudspeakers. And so that's a typical station. Lots, of, lots and lots of equipment. Out on the surface, network rail are putting in overhead electrification improvements. Um, between Liverpool Street and Shenfield. Um, whoops, what did that do? Um, and uh, out on the west, again, um, new overhead electrification right the way down to Bristol eventually. Uh, lowering tracks, building platform extensions, and connecting trains. They also built uh, a new viaduct at Stockley, uh, and that's to allow trains to Heathrow to cross over above the Great Western Line train tracks so that they don't have to stop and wait for a train to go by. So they can swing over on a, on a, um, on a viaduct, uh, which improves Stockley Junction no end. And at Acton, similar, a dive under at Acton rather than an overpass, and that's to allow the freight trains to come out of uh, the freight yards at Acton and cross over the, the mainline tracks without having to wait for trains. And of course, at uh, Southall, there was a huge accident uh, a few years ago when a freight train got in the way of a passenger train. Uh, other improvements, new ticket offices, lifts, um, and access uh, um, escalators and that sort of thing to lots of other stations. So all the um, network rail stations are being improved um, across, um, basically between Shenfield and, and Reading. Um, lots of improvements there so that they are um, much more accessible to, to everybody. And, of course, there are some platform extensions that need to be done uh, to make sure we've got our full-length trains to get in. New station at Abbey Wood, a brand-new station, which is quite spectacular, uh, a timber roof, um, and that will act as a, a catalyst for the redevelopment of, of that area. Um, and that's being seen, especially in terms of house prices at the moment. So on to the trains. Um, 
So we've ordered 70 trains. They're nine cars long, 204.9 metres, I think it is. Um, Walk-through carriages. So if you've been on London Overground uh, and on the new S-Stock on the um, uh, Hammersmith and City line, for instance, um, Metropolitan Line, you've got walk-through carriages. So there are, uh, you, walk right, you can walk the full length of the train um, without um, going through um, pass doors and that sort of thing. Um, space for 1,500 passengers, but only 454 seats because this is a metro line, so it's basically all stations and people will go on, it on, long, on short journeys, mainly. If you start at Shenfield and want to go to Heathrow, of course, you'll get a seat because you're starting at Shenfield uh, and vice versa. Um, but for the shorter journeys, um, people will mainly stand... Um, Air-conditioned, full information systems, um, being operated by MTR, who have got the contract um, to uh, provide the, the service. Um, it's not a tra traditional fan franchise because um, TFL take the risk on the fare, so they're actually paying MTR a fee for operating the service. Um, dedicated wheelchair spaces, lots of energy efficiency, um, with regenerative braking and that sort of thing. Very lightweight structures, uh, light um, and aerodynamic. And supporting lots of jobs in Derby, because these are all being built in the UK. Now that's a shot inside, actual shot inside the trains. And um, driver training. Um, <laughs> I think he's swapping his helicopter. Those of you with keen eyes will notice that in the top left shot, that's the rear of the train, not the front, because it's got red lights on it. <laughs> so whether he's a backseat driver, I don't know. And then signalling. Um, through the central section, we've got what's known as the CBTC, which is cab-based um, transmission system, um, or, uh, and that operates in the central se se section. If that was the only bit, that would be fine, but we have to integrate with network rail at, bo at both ends. Um, and so uh, we have the European train control system west of Royal Oak Portal and the conventional line-side system uh, east of Pudding Mill Lane Portal. And the trains have to be capable of operating on those different systems, which is very complicated. So traction power need to come in from the national grid. So we've got a 400 kilovolt bolt supply point at Kensal Green and at Pudding Mill Lane and the National Grid have built their uh, facilities there as well. Um, so we, we hook into the National Grid at 400 kilovolts. Got to come down to 25 kilovolts for the overhead power supply and um, 11 um, kilovolts and, and others um, for, the auto, for the rest of the service um, stations and, and tunnels. So lots of transformers and that sort of thing. Right, so we're about 90% complete. Um, still a way to go, um, and uh, still doing stuff on network rail. Most of the civil construction, the stations, are uh, nearing completion, and in fact, we are due to hand over the stations to uh, TFL, um, because this will be a TFL railway op um, in the summer. Um, trains and railway depots, still building the, the new depot at Plumstead. Old Oak Commons virtually finished. Lots of public sector works or, or public space works and development around the stations. Uh, and TfL are operating um, the system, the, the, the trains at uh, Liverpool Street to Shenfield, but then there's a phased opening 
So, coming up this year, February to July, power is on, dynamic testing starts in the tunnels, and uh, then we hand over in the summer to uh, TFL, uh, to RFL, Rail for London, who are with London Underground will be the infrastructure owners, um, and then uh, MTR get to grips with it um, and start operating, trial running, and then trial operations through to December when we would will start the service. And uh, MTR Crossrail, as I said, are the operators. So um, rather complicated sort of opening sequence. TFL Rail took over the existing um, service from Liverpool Street to Shenfield in May last year. And they rebranded the old Abelio trains to TFL Rail and started operating with MTR um, crews. So that, th those are still branded TFL. And then, then they introduced in um, June uh, the TFL Rail uh, Elizabeth Line services. Um, so that's still uh, running from Shenfield to, or Liverpool Street to Shenfield. In May this year, those Elizabeth Line services or trains will start operating from Paddington Main Line Station towards Heathrow. Um, they will take over the existing first, um, Great Western Railways stopping services uh, between Paddington and Heathrow gradually. So that, that, and those services, I think the services that exist uh, using the older or the first, the Great Western Rolling Stop will be branded TFL Rail. So that will again would be TFL Rail. And the big one comes in December this year when we have the Elizabeth Line. That's the first time you'll see the Elizabeth Line in anger. So all three routes will then be branded the Elizabeth Line. So you'll have the main uh, Paddington Elizabeth Line station running through to Abbey Wood. You'll have the Elizabeth Line services from Liverpool Street to Shenfield. And you'll have the Elizabeth Line services from Paddington existing main line station down to Heathrow. And then in May 2019, the Liverpool Street to Whitechapel link gets hooked in. So you'll be coming in Liverpool uh, from Shenfield and then into the central section um, just east of Whitechapel to run through to Paddington. And then in December 2019, we have the complete service in operation. It was named the Elizabeth Line when the Queen went to visit Bond Street in February last year. Um, I think it, it had been mooted a little bit before then, um, but um, that was the first public utterance of the Elizabeth Line. Uh, skills development, uh, we built our own uh, construction academy um, at um, uh, Newham, it, well, just on the Newham-Ilford borders. Um, it's called the Tunneling and Underground Construction Academy, and it's now being run by TfL. We had a goal of 400 apprentices. Uh, they've now, I think, it's 1,002. Um, that includes Bombardier, who are building the trains. It includes MTR um, and various other uh, aspects. But across the whole program, 1,000 apprentices. Uh, 1,500 people have been 15,000 have been enrolled at the um, Tunneling and Underground Construction Academy and lots of jobs for local people and um, that sort of thing. Quite a lot of effort has been put into skills and developing the skills. It's not just a southeast project. Um, we've gone all around the country. 96% um, of contracts awarded to companies 
within the UK. It doesn't mean to say everything's manufactured in the UK, but um, the companies are based in the UK. Um, about 55,000 jobs have been um, created or have been reliant on Crossrail. Um, an awful lot of um, the suppliers are outside London and quite a lot are small, medium enterprises. So it's been a project that's been sort of across the country. Environment, uh, our emissions for the Elizabeth Line trains will be much, much lower than all the others. Um, so we are uh, very conscious of reducing the CO2 emissions. Uh, as, I, as I explained earlier, we've got um, a, a lot of material was reused either at Wallasey or um, for beneficial reuse. Um, and um, if you're interested, over 10,000 items were excavated as archaeological finds. Um, some of those will be um, retained um, by the, well, most of them retained by the Museum of London, Docklands, uh, archaeology. And there's been, there was a very, very good exhibition at um, MOLA in, Do in Docklands um, about the tunnel, which was really well attended. Property, um, Derwent, as I said, have just taken over this area here. Uh, we're running through development agreements with um, various property developers for Bond Street, um, for Hanover Square, uh, Liverpool Street, um, Dean Street. Um, and so there's quite a lot of additional buildings going up uh, above the sites that we've excavated, replacing the original buildings, but enhancing the areas. We have uh, realized that we have a huge amount of experience within Crossrail, and so we formed a learning legacy package. Uh, you can log on through various routes, um, and there's an awful lot of information about how we did it, um, why we did it, and lessons learned. So that's going forward, and that um, is uh, being applied and being shared with people like HS2, um, TFL, Tideway, uh, and others. That's where it fits in um, at the moment. I know it says draft up there, but um, that's as far as it goes at the moment. It, in 2018, they'll take the word, in December this year, they'll take the word draft off. And so that will be the TFL tube map um, until we, uh, for another year anyway. If you have any questions, I will do my best to answer them. Thank you, Richard. I'm sure there's some questions. But before we do that, I have to say, how many times have we been promised projects that are kind of a bit of a pipe dream? This one has been delivered, so I think it's remarkable. And considering what it's done for London, I know it's caused a bit of chaos above ground, uh, but that's been all short term. So absolutely brilliant. Um, but I have one question. I know it's rapid transit. Why are there no toilets on the train? <laughs> um, Toilets are uh, difficult to maintain. They take up space. It would mean the trains would have to come out of service regularly for the toilets to be cleaned. Uh, and as it's a metro service, people would be going short distances. Short distance. You haven't got okay. toilets on the tube. No. You haven't got toilets on the overground. So it's that philosophy that's been... Rules used. me out, then. <laughs> <laughs> 
You, um, could, you could have the concession for, for, for day bags. Well, okay, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry to go down that route. Um, any questions? I'm sure there are some. Okay, just hold on a minute. Usual rules apply, get the microphone. You've got the floor. When the project is all over, and these thousands of people have been trained on the job, what will eventually happen to them? Sorry, I missed when the... the job, when the project is f finished and delivered, um, all the people that have been involved in it, the 55,000 people, whatever it is, uh, what will they be doing after that? Will they be involved in the maintenance of it or what? There will be some involved in maintenance, but um, uh, there's a little project going on <coughs> north of Euston at the moment called HS2, so an awful lot of people are gyrating towards that. Uh, the 55,000 across the country are involved in all sorts of different industries. So they'll continue in those industries and manufacture whatever they were manufacturing for, for other clients. And the rest of us get made redundant, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, Richard, they, uh, was it 45 billion to be realised from the project? So 45 four, billion? 42 billion. 42. Where will the majority of that come from? And my second question That's is, I hadn't heard of the, the post office rail before. Can you just uh, let us know about that? Well, according to your website, you're all going on that trip shortly. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, Post Office Railway's been around. It runs between Mount Pleasant and somewhere else. I can't remember. But it was a narrow-gauge railway used for shifting mailbags uh, across. And yes, I mean, it's still there, and part of it is still operational. Um, and if you've been lucky enough to get onto the, onto the visit, you're actually going to go on it, I think, because there's an exhibition open. Um, the, the £42 billion pounds is a uh, benefit to the whole economy. So it's providing jobs, um, um, property increase prices and rents and rates and that sort of thing. So you look at it from an economics point of view, it's what's, what's the benefit from the project of being realised to the economy. So quicker transport, um, more development, that sort of thing. Okay, I think there are three visits to the... Uh Post Office Rail, one of them, I understand Tim, has some spaces now? Uh, they're all sold out. They're all sold out, okay, fair enough. Can you pass that down, please? With the uh, problems some of us have had with strikes on the overground going into London, could you say something about the crew manning of these trains? Are they driver only? And if they are, how have you got around the problem with the unions? Yes, they are driver only. Um, they've always been specified as driver only. Um, that's up to MTR who are managing their staff um, and their union issues. But as far as I'm aware, um, I mean, the tube's been driver only for donkey's years. So there are no real issues with this system being driver only. We've, I've not heard of any issues with the unions. I'll ask you what you want to know. In the future, can it, will it be, a, will there be access to other operators so longer distant trains? So it could use the infrastructure to yeah, get in and out. Including Eurostar. Okay. Richard, the question is, would it be open to other operators to use the tunnel infrastructure to gain access to London? Unfortunately not, because it's, um, it will operate the same sort of hours as the uh, uh, existing TFL operations, the tube, so it will start at sort of five o'clock in the morning and finish about one o'clock. We've got to maintain it, 
so there's, um, there's only four or five hours of maintenance. Uh, if we go the same way as the other um, tube lines, night tubes on Friday night and Saturday night, you've got even, more, even less time to start maintaining it. So uh, it's not open. Uh, the connections would be very difficult. Um, and also, um, it's used, its use is for passengers, not for other um, systems. Um, and it's difficult to get other operators to run through uh, at the frequency that we want. We've got 24 trains an hour through the central section. So that's 12 trains an hour from Shenfield and 12 trains an hour from Abbey Wood meeting um, at Whitechapel and then 24 trains an hour going through to Paddington and then various combinations of trains going out to Reading, out to Heathrow, out to Maidenhead. So very congested, no room really for any other operators. Richard, we have another question at the back here. Hello, Richard. Um, could I just ask, I understand that a lot of the, or some of the underground lines are going sort of automatic now. Will you be aiming for that eventually? Driverless, in other words? Uh, one would hope so. Um, they are fairly automatic anyway. I think the Jubilee line and the Victoria line, you don't really need a driver, but they're there for passenger safety uh, and passenger uh, comfort, if you like. Um, it, it takes some getting used to finding somebody not at the front. I mean, the DLR operates without drivers, but there's somebody on there. But it's a much, much slower and much less frequent service, and you've only got three cars. So it's possible, um, and in fact, I think there is one manoeuvre at Old Oak Common where the driver has to change ends, and he walks through from one end to the other while the train is reversing slowly. So it is possible, but nothing on the drawing board at the moment. I was very interested to hear about the capture of lessons learned. If you were to start again, what two things would you do differently? That's a very good question, actually. Um, one thing that we should, we, we could have done differently, and we perhaps, we, well, I think, in my view, and with hindsight, we should have done differently, and that is we shouldn't have used the old railway infrastructure in East London. Uh, the Connaught Tunnel was phenomenally expensive and difficult. Um, the uh, cost of that, plus two extra tunnel portals, one at North Woolwich and one at Royal, Vic uh, Victoria, Royal Victoria, um, plus the Connaught Tunnel. Uh, if we'd kept tunnelling as we came across the Thames and ended up in Limo, which is by Canning Town, where the big shaft was, we would have obliterated, not obliterated, that's the wrong word perhaps, we would have not needed to um, build the two portals and build the uh, Connaught Tunnel. We could have been underneath, underground there. Uh, and we could also at that time have built a station which served both XL and London City Airport. Because currently we don't, we don't serve London City Airport. And in my view, that was an oversight. Um, so I would, that's what I would do. I, we had a huge problem in North Woolwich because we were building the railway above ground on what was an old railway, but um, it caused a lot, lots of problems. The tunnel portals uh, needed an awful lot of uh, infrastructure to be moved, so cables and pipes. Um, we diverted bus routes for 18 months. We shut roads for years. Um, that would all have been avoided had we carried on tunnelling. 
So that's one of the lessons that, that I think needs to be learned, is that you need to look at it holistically and see, um, is it going to be a benefit or is it going to be a problem? And, and perhaps be a bit cleverer in, in the routing. of um, another, where, another lesson learned... Um, Oh, I don't know. Um, that's the main one. I can't. I mean, there's lots of little lessons, I'm sure, but um, that, that's the main one. One more question, ladies and gentlemen, maybe. One more at the front. Okay, make this the last one. Thank you. Oh, we can carry on if Here you like. I'm, no, I'm in no hurry. That's okay. You've got a train to catch. <laughs> <laughs> one more. Okay. We keep on hearing that uh, more females are wanted in the engineering field and you're trying to encourage young ladies to come forward. What is the percentage of female staff, either engineering or otherwise, that you've had on the project? Ooh. Quite high, but I don't know what the actual percentage is. I mean, we've got some very experienced and very good female project managers. Um, Bond Street's female project manager on both contractor and Crosswell side. Um, Liverpool Street's a female project manager. Uh, the Connaught Tunnel, and quite a lot of that work was run by um, a very good female, Linda Miller. You may have seen her on the TV programs. Um, she's now building a um, metro in Australia, I think. Um, uh, it's, it's high. You know, it's, it's up in the sort of 35 40%, I think. Um, and we, are, we have encouraged them. Um, we have a big program of, of trying to get in female through apprenticeship, apprenticeships. We've got female crane drivers, um, engineers, surveyors, um, technicians, all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's very high. Another question here. Um, when everyone travels around the world, uh, railway stations are um, obviously arrival points, often very grand, um, you know, and they reflect to some extent uh, the nation. Um, to what extent uh, was it important to have the stations aesthetically, if you like, grand or exciting, interesting? Very important. Um, but what we wanted to do was have a continuity. So once you're in the, the, the station platforms, in the stations, you've got the same architectural finishes, the same um, wayfinding, uh, exactly the same. So you'll know you're on crossrail. Um, Wayfinding is very important because if you get off at one end of the station and you want to be at the other, you've got a 200, 200 metre long hike to get to the other end. So wayfinding is important. That's uh, very important. The actual ticket halls themselves reflect the architecture uh, around them. So um, at, Liverpool, at um, Liverpool Street, it's shiny city stuff, so you've got a nice glass entrance. Um, you've got um, the roof is precast concrete, um, very finely detailed to emulate the pinstripe suits of the businessman. At Hatton Garden, we've got the diamond forms on the roof. Um, at um, Farringdon, um, sorry, at Farring yes, Farringdon, we've got the diamond forms. Um, at Tottenham Court Road, um, it's the lighting and the, um, there's some really deep red around the station, that's to emulate sort of, not the red light district in Soho, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's sort of, you know, the Soho thing. So yes, we've taken uh, care. And of course, Canary Wharf, very futuristic, 
Um, that structure is, is, is quite eye-catching. Um, so yes, it, it's, it has been very, very important to, to get uh, the architecture to uh, match the environment. Okay, we'll take one question from the back here, and then there's a gentleman at the front that I know. Um, this line runs roughly east-west. Are there any proposals for a north-south line which might benefit Surrey? But there would have been if, if somebody hadn't taken the slides out, because I had a, I'd cross, a Crossrail 2 is the north-south line, which should eventually, uh, when it goes, um, run between basically Tottenham and... Um, comes north-south, comes through Waterloo, um, could link to Woking, in fact. Um, so uh, Wimbledon, it's basically Tottenham to Wimbledon. Um, so that's the north-south line. And if the government pull their finger out, that might get built in the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, in the past, I believe we've developed um, underground systems for um, Singapore, uh, Hong Kong rather, and we lost out on the contract to Singapore, to the Japanese. Um, is there any possibility that we could, with all this vast experience, can we can we export the ideas? Yes, um, and there is uh, an organisation which is sponsored by the um, Department for Business Efficient BEF or whatever it's called, anyway, the government. Um, it's called Crossrail International, and it is in talks with lots of area, lots of com countries to sort of export expertise. We're not actually because Crossrail itself will disappear yeah. um, in towards the, the end of this year. Crossrail will have disappeared. There will be no Crossrail. It will be the Elizabeth Line, and everybody will be working for TfL if they've got anything to do with the railway. Um, so we're trying to piggyback on the good stuff that we've done, um, and I mean there's Canada, South America, Australia, I think those sort of talks are going on about, uh, it's really exporting lessons learned and how, how did we arrange the finance, for instance, and that sort of thing. So yes, we are trying to do that. Um, but Crossrail itself um, doesn't actually dig anything or build anything. Um, it's just the management, the, the company that's set up to manage it. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Storer, thank you very much indeed. One more point, Richard. Can yeah. I make a plug? Um, we've had some very interesting exhibitions at um, Transport for London, the, the Transport Museum in Covent Garden. We have another one starting in towards the end of March, which tells the story of Crossrail. Um, so that will be worth going to. Um, I mentioned the artwork on the, on the ceiling or on the roof of Paddington Station. We've got big artwork across most of our stations. And there is uh, an exhibition at the Whitechapel Gallery um, I'm not sure when that is, but that's coming up about how we've developed the art. And if you want to visit the sites, uh, and I know some people do, um, then uh, look at the website, www.crossrail.co.uk. There's an events page on that, and you can register for information because from... Uh, I think the first one actually is Canary Wharf, and that's towards the end of February. We are running... Uh, trips, if you like, uh, or the, the, we're giving people the opportunity to look at the stations before they've been finally completed. Um, it'll be a day long um, and ticketed and that sort of thing. So if you're interested, then the website's where you want to be.
Marvellous. Thank you very much indeed. I'm sure someone or many of us will take that offer up.